up, sports fans? And welcome back to Low Expectations, the Gruder Golf Podcast, brought to you by the No Laying Up Podcast Network. Tonight, you've got Haley. Hello. And me, Jen. And pour some out for Kiki because she's unable to join us tonight, but she's always here in spirit. So hello, Kiki. I know you are certainly listening. Um, So very quickly, before we get started with our excellent guest, I want to give everybody a quick reminder that we have brand new beanies and head covers in the merch palace on grudergolf.com. We've got the beautiful pink one that you've seen modeled a bunch. We haven't had a lot of models wear the denim blue one yet, but we're hoping to populate that probably by the time you hear this. So if you're listening, head to our Instagram page, see the beautiful models, um, AKA just people that we know wearing the beanie and buy one if you want. Um, They're super warm and you're going to love them made with love in Cleveland. And who doesn't love Cleveland? Um, also by the time you're listening to this, it might be too late, but we have a few bonus spots on our spring break trip to Casa de Campo in the Dominican Republic, March 10th through 13th. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to film a documentary on it. So documentary is used very loosely there, but, um, (laughs) there will be some sort of film product that will come from that. So if you want to get famous, um, you should come to our spring break trip. Um, Haley, I was just gonna say, I think, doc- I think documentary is actually the best way to describe that. It's the safest way to describe it. It's the closest thing to what we're trying to do. It's gonna be real yeah. life, unscripted. Obviously, um, <laughs> there's gonna be no script that you will have to follow, and uh, it's gonna be a kind of a peek behind the curtain of what it's like to go on a golf trip um, with the Gruder Golf Crew, which is gonna be a lot of fun. I think we promise. We honestly, yeah, we promise. Um, But without further ado, um, we've got a really, really fantastic guest tonight. Maybe one of our smartest guests ever. Um, He's shaking his head, but Will, I think it's true. So, and that's, this is our podcast, so we get to say that. Um, So, folks, Will Bardwell is a real live wire on the golf internet, which is how he caught our eye and how he ended up here today. Um, He is a civil rights attorney by day and a golf blogger by night. And if that doesn't intrigue you, then you cannot be intrigued. Um, he has a blog called the lying floor, lying four, which is a collection of original stories about golf in the deep South from the perspective shared by most golfers as a mediocre amateur, which true words have never been spoken. Um, hails from Mississippi, which hoping to touch on that as well. And our favorite thing, he's really not afraid to call out the PGA tour. Um, it's very unvarnished, but you know, very smart criticism. So we're, we're just thrilled to have you here tonight. Will, welcome to Low Expectations. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was an overly generous uh, introduction. Um, my, <laughs> I'm wearing my earbuds uh, and I'm glad because my wife is over here on the other end of the couch. And if she could have heard half that introduction, she'd be howling with laughter and completely <laughs> ruined your audio. Well, that's how easy it is to be cool in golf, Will. So, you know, I'll I'll take that back a little bit because as you mentioned a lot in a lot of your writing, a lot of your, I'll say, critiques, um, not a lot of cool people here in golf. Yeah, and and fewer by the day, it seems. (laughs) So our, our very first question actually is, would you have thrown a beer can after Sam Ryder's hole in one on 16 this past weekend at the Waste Management? Speaking of cool, I'm getting less cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd like to say no, but man, after about half a beer, you become really impressionable. <laughs> and, you know, a few few thousand other people start throwing beer cans, and man, it's it's hard to say no. 
You see, they're they're already down there on the green. What is one more uh, Mick Ultra bottle gonna harm? Yeah. Who who could judge? <laughs> who can judge is right. We were very we were just mostly I'm mostly laughing at the spectacle of the whole thing because it was made into such a huge deal as most like casually fun things in golf are. Um, that it became almost like a litmus test of like, oh my God, either I'm despicable, you know, or it's like, that's growing the game. And I feel like the answer is somewhere in between. (laughs) It's not as like cut and dry, black and white of like, it was bad. It was good. Like, I don't know. It just happened. And what can you really do about it? You know, (laughs) have you ever heard those quote unquote horror stories about like the gimmick sports nights at like baseball games in the 1970s like there was disco night one night and you know these people started throwing records on the field in the middle of the game i feel like maybe we look back on the sam Ryder situation like that and you know in a few years like was it like mildly terrifying in the moment yeah probably <laughs> but in hindsight is it awesome yeah yeah pretty cool yeah and fun you know i For mean sure Probably fun if you're in the stands, for sure. Yeah, I might have been a little scared if I were down below, honestly. Yeah, exactly, depending on uh, yeah. where you were. A <laughs> lot more people in the stands, though, so certainly a net positive. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to... Haley and I were saying, too, though, that, like, I don't know, I've never gotten so excited that I throw, like, half a beer. Like, I usually like to consume the beer that's in my hand. Um, can't imagine that's super cheap at waste management, but that was something that was going through my head. I was like, there's a lot of wasted beer on that green. Yeah, so Sad. I went to Ole Miss, which has a, a pretty good baseball team every year, and they have this, you know the student sections out in right field, and whenever anybody uh, hits a home run, you know the the beer just goes flying like these huge beer showers, and I, I always think the same thing like those poor college students, you know, they, they spend all their uh, their parents' money this week on you know, Natty Light or something, and there it goes into the air. But, yeah, same, same sort of principle. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, I want to ask about what Jen just described as far as the spectrum goes. You know, is that a disgrace or is that growing the game, which apparently some people, you know, chalked it up to be. Um, zooming out a bit, does the waste management, in your opinion, is that growing the game? I mean, I'm the wrong person probably to ask about that at this point. You know, I'm, I'll be 41 <laughs> Uh, at later this month that is not I, that old and also <laughs> no. like i think i think we can ask anyone that question well I don't think it's age prohibitive i well i'm i'm definitely slipping into golf broadcasting's target demographic uh <laughs> you know, when i got interested in golf several years ago probably uh, probably was on the edges of that I'm, I'm definitely getting into the center of that uh now um but like i I think it's fine. Who cares? It's not, like, unless you had to go out and clean up the beer. What, what does it matter to you? And it's waste management. You know, it, they should be really good at that. Precisely. <laughs> it's honestly right on theme. <laughs> John and I did say, you know, cleaning it up is actually where my brain usually goes to. It's just like, that's kind of a bummer for whoever has to clean that up before the next uh, next group comes through. And that's kind of a pain. But Well, I'm sure the execs were up there in the C-suite. Like, let's, let's get them down. Let's put them to work. <laughs> Oh my God! Can you imagine? We should have Brandel himself clean it up. <laughs> give him a give him an idiot stick. I didn't know that was what it was called until my mom. She apparently had to pick trash at one point. 
And she was like, yeah, an idiot stick. And I was like, what is that? I didn't know that's what they're called. that's the trash picker. Yeah. Maybe that's just what she calls it. I don't know. Will, have you heard that? Is that like a regional term? It's got to, it's it's better than spear, which is what it really is. Okay. Yeah. Idiot stick. (laughs) Give give Brandel a spear sounds really disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't advocate for that at all. (laughs) Um. So yeah, I mean, I think I think it was just funny. Actually, one hilarious Brandel quote that was real, like had me in stitches laughing. I think either uh, I think it was on Saturday, maybe it's Friday. Who knows? The days are all running together at this point still. Um, but he was talking about somebody was like, oh yeah, like you know what's what's so special about this event? He was like, you know, you got backwards hats, you get untucked shirts, you know, music bumping, maybe Scandalous. a vape. That is that is growing the game. That's and they were like, did you just say vape? And like it was like, oh, and I was like, is that your definition of cool, Brandel? Like, is that untucked shirt, man? That guy's chilling. What? One thing I do love about the waste management is that every single year it is good for the gif of the drunkest fan on tour that yes. year like you will always see some 0.4 blood alcohol content person just sprawled <laughs> out on the grass uh and it is content that's good for the next year until the new version comes out so i do i do appreciate <laughs> that new version yeah it's good it's good you know i mean it is it's it's refreshing in a lot of ways i mean i always tend to think i'm like i don't know if like you know, drunk frat boys is like necessarily growing the game the way that, you know, as revolutionarily as everybody thinks it is. But sure, you know, if that's going to be as much as we can get for right now, then like, okay, like, I'll take that. We'll chip away at this. (laughs) Yeah, and not just that, but like, out of all the weeks of the year, like, truly, how many of these events just completely run together? Mm. You know, what is, at the end of the day, like, what is the difference between the Valero and you know, the, the Byron Nelson, you know, mm-hmm. not to, you know, not to be smirch, uh, Byron Nelson, but <laughs> of course, like truly of course. week to week, it is just such a monotonous exercise. And so to have a few weeks per year where it's just weird and different. Cool. Like let's, let's do more of that. Yeah. At yeah, the very definitely. least, let's not get upset on the rare occasions where we are having some actual fun. Yeah, that's, you know, that's good perspective. I like that. I do too. I can't wait for the um, LPGA version of the uh, Waste Management to someday hit the scene. The Gruder Golf Invitational. Gruder Golf Open. (laughs) (laughs) At some point. Actually, we have some some maybe uh, pro-am dreams in the future, but uh, very much, very much in the planning stages right now. So stay tuned, everybody. Keep it, under, keep it under keep it under 0.4 BAC. You'll be fine. Yeah, everybody will get breathalyzed going to each hole, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. I would never do that to anybody. <laughs> um, but we do want to ask a little bit about the origin story of the Lying Four and kind of how you, you know, have started moonlighting this passion gig um, when you definitely have a very intense day job. <laughs> yes. So, well, it... <laughs> When I was at Ole Miss, and I, I've already given away my age, so I guess I'm, I'm not dating myself <laughs> by giving away um, specific dates here. But So I graduated from Ole Miss in 2003 with a journalism degree. And I had always known I wanted to go to law school after college, but I was just completely burned out. 
So I went and got a job writing sports for a little daily newspaper in East Mississippi called the Meridian Star. And I did that for two years, and I really loved it. I knew the whole time that I was going to leave in pretty short order, go back to Ole Miss for law school. Um, but I also knew I was going to miss it, and I did. And so I got into golf fairly hardcore like after law school. So this is probably 2009, 2010 by now. And I... As, as, as much as I fell in love with golf, I really struggled to find media coverage of golf that resonated. You know, there were some of the big legacy brands that cover golf, and, you know, we don't have to call them out right here, but it just, it was all there was. And so you read it because it's all there was. And I can remember stumbling across No Laying Up in probably 2014 or so they had like 13,000 Twitter followers at the time, which is hilarious now. (laughs) And, um, it was like the first thing, the first coverage of golf I had ever come across where I was like, these people are actual human beings. It's smart. It's funny. These are, yeah, this is fun. This makes it more fun to be a golf fan. And so, you know, there started to come along some some really great and authentic golf coverage during that same period of time. Andy Johnson's work at the Fried Eggs, tremendous. I've, I've loved that. Um, the Golfer's Journal came around in, I guess, about 2018. And that was a big eye-opener for me in that, you know, you, you could do long-form storytelling about golf that has nothing to do with the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. And so that made a huge impression. And I guess about late 2018, early 2019, I just, I had had so many sort of ideas about stories that I wanted to read. And I guess I had nagged my wife about it enough times. She was like, you should just do this. And so I did some writing for a couple of different websites. And I, I really enjoyed that. It was a, you know, it was a treat. But little things about it kind of bugged me. When you, when you turn your stuff over to an editor, you know they maybe they cut a long paragraph into two paragraphs that you thought needed to be one paragraph, or they take out a word that they didn't think was important, but you thought was important. Even things like, and this really is going to tell on myself for how anal I am about something, but like the font. I'm loving the website. Oh, like, like, I hate You're speaking font. to the right people right you now. You are. Honestly. I'm such a big <laughs> font person. I and hate. so I finally, I realized shit, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I've, I've got to do it myself. So, it, you know, I had to like cough up $162 or whatever it was to get a Squarespace account. And, uh, and so line four, it was really just, it was kind of an excuse to call people that I thought were cool and write stories about it. And, just kind of throw it out there into the universe. I, I never expected that it would resonate with people. And I, you know, I, I still be the first person to admit that line four is a niche of a niche of a niche publication, <laughs> but it, it has been flattering that so many people have, you know, have stuck around to, to read some of it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you know, 
the niche of the niche of the niche is what like a lot of people are looking for, right? Like that's when I started, when I came across the, wow, I just got like a weird deja vu. When I came across Lying 4, I was like, oh, like this, like just what you said, your mission is really being perfectly, um, you know, accomplished because it's like, oh, this is stuff that I don't see anywhere else, right? Like these are takes that I think a lot of other people because of either, you know, fear of losing access to the PGA Tour or whatever it may be. These are things people don't say, right? Because they're, I don't know whether it's polite or, or what the heck it is. But, and we'll get into maybe some of those takes uh, in a minute. But, but yeah, I, I, I just love, I love Lying 4. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a hobby, you know. And so, I, I'm, if I lose credentials to the Zurich Classic, which, by the way, please, Zurich Classic, don't cut my credentials. I would love to come to your <laughs> tournament. Um, but if they, you know, if that happens, who cares? Um, I'll be fine. Uh, I'll go to work the next day and it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for folks who cover the tour regularly and look, the, the PGA tour is particularly heavy handed about, uh, criticism that, uh, people covering it hand out. And so, uh, to, to have some, distance there like i do uh, is is helpful <laughs> yeah i can imagine um i quickly want to compliment you on the font on the website thank you i <laughs> thank was thinking you. I... That, I mean i was rereading the oh, no i was reading i should say the article you just posted today which we'll get into later on but i was like what a lovely font this is and even like the spacing how it's spaced like on the page and everything. I, I did genuinely think about that earlier to myself. I, uh, well, I'm among good anal <laughs> graphic design people then. So thank you for inviting me onto your, uh, into your font podcast. Yep, exactly. No, you're, you're in a safe space here. <laughs> this is now a font podcast. Uh, yep. <laughs> oh my talk, God. Talk I, about niche of the niche of the niche. <laughs> there should be a font podcast because I, I have trouble. I mean, we could Haley and I could go off on a huge tangent on this, but I'm often like sending her fonts too. I'm like, isn't this cool? Because I feel like a, these days too with Instagram, there's that whole like Instagram aesthetic, right? And it takes all these, you know, kind of like retro things, and like you feel like you see the same things all the time, so you're always looking for something new. Ugh, it's a battle. It's hard day. to get out of the vortex. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your day job a little bit because as a day job, I was gonna say you moonlight, but you daylight. As a, uh, I don't know if that's a thing, um, as a public defender. So would love to hear about how you balance your work there against, you know, this passion project for yours and, and how intense are your, are your days? <laughs> well, I'm, like uh, so I'm a civil rights lawyer. I've worked okay, for, yes. um, I wrote well, that wrong, Haley. No, it's, look, it's fine. <laughs> it, it both, We're a team, uh, uphill battles. Both of us. <laughs> we, we both lose most of our cases. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean. It's why I went to law school. Um, and yeah, I, I do lose most, lose most of my cases. But, you know, I think a lot about what, um, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the Ken Burns uh, baseball documentary, but Mickey Mantle was still alive. And um, I'm really dating myself. Uh, Mickey Mantle was still alive and he was interviewed for the documentary. And I, he said something in the documentary, like somebody asked me one time, Mickey, do you ever go to the plate just trying to hit a home run and said every goddamn time? And I, I kind of feel the same way about civil rights litigation. Like, if you're not swinging for the fences, what are you doing? 
you know, the, the problems that you know, that you care about if you're in this line of work, they are too gigantic to just try to incremental uh, you know change in in individual cases. You, you do have to swing for the fences, and so if you're you know if you're missing the ball every now and then, that's fine. At least you're out there trying. So that yeah, it, it is tough, but um, but I like to try. And now, how do you think uh, your day job colors your view of the golf world? Oh, is it, is it obvious? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we're, was that too easy of a question? <laughs> we're we're so, kind of priming. We're priming the audience for what we want to get into in a bit here. So. Well, yeah, and I, I will go ahead and sort of give a little bit of a spoiler here. Um, one thing I will give credit to Line 4 on is that whatever the market is for left-leaning golf blogging, I do think I probably have that market cornered. I think uh, so, yeah. There's not I, anybody else I can think of. <laughs> not a lot of competition in that space. We don't have that uh, many places to go. Yeah. <laughs> do you think there are like, advertising agencies out there like, geez, if only we could find some more left-of-center golf content. Yeah, we need the liberal golfers. You know, that's the missing... I mean, they're out there. the magic quadrant right there. Where are those eight guys? They need putters, too. (laughs) Those eight guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was one of the attractive things about just doing this as a hobby, that, number one, I could write stories that were a little more golf-adjacent, which is stuff I, I think is most interesting. You know, I, who cares what, you know, I'm going to pick on Max Homa here, but who cares what Max Homa shot on Thursday at some random golf tournament? Uh, the stuff that is more interesting to me is like, let's talk about golf and race discrimination. Let's talk about golf and climate change. Um, and, you know, if you're just doing this for fun, uh, you can do that kind of stuff, and also if you're just doing this for fun, uh, you can editorialize a little. And so, you know, and, and so I do. I, a lot of my writing is just straight up, sort of traditional, long form, objective reporting. But I also don't run away from opportunities to editorialize, which you know I, I make no apologies for, and you know if. Somebody wants to start throwing a bunch of advertising dollars at me one day. Maybe we'll, I'll reconsider that. But until then, <laughs> as long as I'm just having fun, I'm going to have fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really going to reconsider that. And also, nobody's going to throw advertising dollars at me. We'll get you some dollars. <laughs> we'll, we'll Honestly, get you some money. hey, you never know. You know, hey, we're we're no strangers to trying to make the moonlight gig in some sort of way. You know, impactful first, and then maybe if profitable comes. That would be cool, yeah, right? But I, that's not what it's about. No, I, I don't think I could ever do that. Um, <laughs> I love, love, love practicing law. And I also love being able to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and bang out a few hundred words. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, but, wait. We might need to go back to that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to rewind. Well, that, that whole sentence is a little bit blowing my brain. Um, you love waking up at 4 a.m. <laughs> and you love waking up at 4 a.m. to do something that's like extra. All right, so we're like opposites, Will. I well, feel like I'm. I feel bad keeping you up this late right now. <laughs> no, we, well, I mean that is part of the story. So okay. when um, when my wife and I had our first kid, um, you know, she would wake up at four o'clock in the morning to um, to nurse, and 
it, it occurred to me pretty quickly, like, dude, this is your cue to wake up. You, you, you cannot stay in bed when she's <laughs> this, waking up at four o'clock in the morning too. to keep the baby alive. Smart man. Yeah. So, um, you know, watched a lot of like obscure Netflix documentaries for a long time. And then once, um, you know, I guess we had our second in 2018. And so I started line four in 2019. So I was still waking up at four o'clock in the morning at that point. And, um, you know, you wake up, you put on a little coffee, you're sitting around the house is quiet for like two whole hours. It's the best. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's not a chore at all. It's a treat. That makes sense. <laughs> I love that. I'm I'm jealous of that. Honestly, I'm notorious for being not a morning person. Well, actually, <laughs> may, that, this might be a good time to do a quick check in on your New Year's resolution, Jen. How is it going? Waking up happier in the morning? <laughs> okay, it was going actually pretty well. This weekend, I went a little hard in the paint. Had you know <sighs> a few late nights, and Monday came at me pretty hard. I mean, the Monday after the Super Bowl, I think, is a very difficult Monday. I didn't even have any skin in the game, right? Like, I wasn't really doing that much. We had, like, you know, a few people over, a few family members over, just to, like, hang out for the day. Um, but after, you know, the, the robust weekend plans, that was that was tough, too, because I didn't get, like, my laying down time. Mm. Well, this, this I feel like saying this in front of somebody with young kids is just the rudest thing in the entire world. Who wakes up at 4 I need my laying down time <laughs> after, like, I go out too hard a little bit. Um... But yeah, so then, so the past two days, today's Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday have not been very positive mornings for me. Also, it was my dog's birthday this past weekend. He likes to sleep in too. <laughs> so we're getting back to it tomorrow, basically, Haley, is the short answer to that question. Okay, um, you know, the most important thing I think about, you know, resolutions or whatever you call them is, you know, that, you know, every day is a new day. Um, you know, one day at a time, they say. Totally. You just got to bounce back into it when you can. Yeah. So, and, you know, they don't have to be years resolutions, right? It's just like, okay, this is something that I'm trying to focus on, right? I think my life will be better if I don't wake up and immediately just be like, I want to stay in bed for the rest of my life. You know, like, that's not the thought that you need at the beginning of the day. So, I'm at least thinking, like, you know, so tomorrow, tomorrow's a new day. I think I'll do really well tomorrow. Thank you well, for that so, very thorough and robust response. I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> you know, in, in golf, we talk about swing thoughts. Then what's your, what's your wake-up thought? In the mornings, my like, thought is like, I can't wait to do this. What I, you know, that sounds before, very convincing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get up. Can't I just, wait I love. My... I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm a night person, right? So like, night people don't like to go to bed and they don't like to get out of bed. And that's, it's the worst way to be. Honestly, it's terrible. It worked really well for me for a lot of years. You know, staying up late was like a skill that a lot of people wanted. I had it, you know, but <laughs> now it's like people people my age are you know awake during the daytime and like you know working out in the morning and stuff and like awake during the daytime How yeah they, they wake up they wake up they go to their jobs they like That's do brutal. things beyond their job you know so i don't know you know it's it's i'm trying to kind of meld you know who i just am naturally which is like you know a night person i'm more creative at night that's just kind of the way it works but also find like a happy medium where i don't feel bad about myself for like you know sleeping till my very first meeting <laughs> That's not a good way to go either. I don't do that, Dad. Um, <laughs> but sometimes. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> not always. No, that was like a deep pandemic thing. That was like when there was nowhere to go, nothing to do. And I was just like, ah. Oh. 
So I think I'm coming out of that a little bit too. You know, that's a tough muscle to like get back into because it's not like I was like getting up and like going to the office, right? It was like get up to just be here today and tomorrow and the next day and next week and like I'm never going to go anywhere, you know? So I had a Christmas tough. break like that once in college. My senior year, um, I was living in the fraternity house and they asked like, can you stay here over Christmas break just to like, keep wild animals out of the house? And so I was like, yeah, what? fine. And so, um, and so I, was, I kind of inadvertently wound up on like a 25-hour cycle, which, as you might have noticed, almost perfectly overlaps with our 24-hour um, uh, planetary rotation but that means like every night you're staying up an hour later you're sleeping an hour later and then the next night you're another and, and so i was showing up at the chevron chicken on stick um if anybody's ever been to oxford you you know what i'm talking about um at like one hour later every night so i'd be there like 2 a.m 3 a.m 4 a.m didn't party any of these nights sober as a judge and then showing up at this gas station asking for chicken on a stick at like four thirty in the morning, and yeah, but by, by the end of Christmas break, it was it was a mess. I probably took a week to get my sleep schedule back in order. Oof, yeah. Once once you get off kilter, that's what I was dealing with these past couple of days. Once you're off kilter a little bit, it's hard to get back it's on. The worst. Sleep training is real. It really is hard. It's a training thing. But anyway, I feel like we're we're getting a little bit off the rails here. Yeah, which, let's bring it back to... Will, this isn't what you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I actually wanted to know all about your sleep schedule. That's, <laughs> that was on the notes. Well, I mean, you know, we, we go off the rails. Again, we're allowed to, right? No sponsors right now. Which sponsors, if you're listening... We will stick to the agenda season. if you give us one. Yeah, if you want us to. But right now, no one wants us to, so it doesn't matter. Um, but to get back a little bit to kind of the lying for and some of our favorite thought-provoking pieces one one of the biggest reasons i wanted to have you on tonight was because i haven't been able to find anybody else who feels the same way about phil mickelson that you do um so in you wrote this in 2021 no february of 2020 um i think i read it last year um and i happened to read it right before phil had won the u.s open and the title is PGA Bill Mickelson. Oh, with PGA Championship. Yeah, he's, U.S. Open, whatever. He would have loved that. Secretly, okay, this is this is a secret. We don't really watch that much PGA Tour anymore because we're so hyper-focused on the LPGA. God bless. That a lot of what I get is like, you know, golf Twitter or like having the golf channel on just like in the background on the weekend or whatever. So, you know. No, really fair. Trying to, yeah, you know, Fair. which, you know, like you said, they blend together a lot, right? Like, I'll watch the majors, I'll, like, focus on those, but for the most part, you know, we're we're kind of laser-focused on trying to get more LPGA, like, casual fans, so then we have to kind of rise the ranks and become the super fans in that. Yeah, I, I, we see totally, I totally support that. I, I went through a phase of golf fandom where I thought, like, well, if you really are a golf fan, you have to watch PGA Tour every week. And at some point, I was like, "What the hell? Why the hell would you do this to yourself?" You're it's a lot of hours. Eighty percent of the time, it's awful. Commitment. Like, who has time to actually watch all of that? That's insane. It's, well, yeah. and as I mentioned, at some point, the kids came around, and yeah, it, yeah. I, the answer is not not this guy anymore. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you're waking up at four a.m. to watch the reruns. But see, this well, this is one of the things that makes the Open Championship and like the Scottish Open and the Irish Open so attractive. Oh, is, yeah. is like, if you want to wake up at 
two in the morning, it's really not that much of a stretch over what you're already doing. So <laughs> yeah, I get up at like two o'clock in the morning to watch the open and it's awesome. There are about five people on Twitter and you're all tweeting at each other at two in the morning. It's pathetic, but it's great. That's so I never thought of That's Twitter as being like a small like a small chat room almost of like knowing who's around and who's tweeting. Like that's I've never thought of it that way. That's hysterical. Oh, like Thursday morning open championship golf Twitter. Like those are the hardcore folks. That's where you find out who your friends are. <laughs> We're gonna have to get oh, Jen waking up that, that early. I mean, I have to stay up till then. There's no, True. there's no waking up at that hour. Once I'm in REM, like I am all the way in. There's, there's no rising me. I'm, I'm not. I mean, Haley's had to wake me up from like you know a slumber before. It's not pleasant. Like I'm a different person. I change at night. <laughs> I don't know what happens. It is scary. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we wanted to talk. I mean, part of the reason you know that we're not super into the PGA tour, committing to watching it is a, a ton of other people are. And B, you know, um, kind of lacking in super engaging characters that are different from what you've seen for the past, like, you know, 30 years or so. So we wanted to talk about this one piece that you wrote called Phil Mickelson is not a nice guy. Uh, because I truly, I couldn't enjoy his win. Everyone was like, oh, this is great. I was like, you Same. guys haven't read that, have you? <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, do you want to say anything kind of just about the piece in general or well, <laughs> what prompted as, it? <laughs> well, as you say, the um, the title of it is Phil Mickelson is Not a Nice Guy. It was inspired by the fact that Phil Mickelson is not a nice guy. Um, <laughs> which is Very creative. Which is, I don't know that there's another figure in sports, maybe in my lifetime, who's like has a bigger gap between... His, his, you know, love among fans and just like objective, undeniable things that the guy has done and said. I mean, he he could have been in prison for white collar crimes. So, can and, you go into that a little bit? Because I think yeah. that this, I think this podcast might have a listenership that is less familiar with like the reasons why Phil Mickelson maybe isn't a nice guy. And that was something that I probably wouldn't have even known either. So do you want to get so, into that a little yeah, bit? So this is like in a nutshell, I, I won't get like too, too deep in the weeds of this thing, but basically he owed this guy who, who was into sports gambling, a ton of money. And so this guy gave him a stock tip and like Phil, you know, ma- manipulated the situation and, you know, he made a bunch of money and used the money to pay this guy back. Um, which is illegal. <laughs> you, you are not supposed to trade on insider information. Um, there are federal laws against that. And I mean, Martha so this, Stewart went to jail for that. I, well, this other dude went to prison too. And <laughs> somehow Phil avoided being indicted. But he did straight up say, like when when prosecutors indicated that they wanted to call him at trial, he, he told him, like, if you call me at trial, I'm going to plead the fifth. And... Like there is Supreme Court precedent that says you you cannot plead the fifth unless there is a pretty good chance you could be charged with a crime if you testify. So it, you know you can't send somebody to prison for pleading the fifth. But also, if you're just a regular human being and somebody says I plead the fifth, you know what that means. Yeah. And so yeah, um, white you know white collar crimes. Um, there's that he's. And I'm glad that 
this Saudi Arabia thing is happening the way it's unfolding because if you if you have been following Phil for any length of time, this is totally predictable. Though these people who speak up on Twitter nowadays, now that he's so closely connected to this Saudi effort, like, God, I never saw this coming. What happened to Phil? Like, have you opened a newspaper in the past twenty years? The guy's a dirtbag. <laughs> And he's obsessed with money and the whole the yeah. whole PGL or SPL or what what is SGL. SGL. Different it's different than the PGL. PGL is different than the SGL, but it's all about money, right? And that's like the whole thing, you know, for the players. That's the, the way the players are justifying it is if like, sure. come on, man, you would do this too, right? But for Phil it's different because it's like you have so much money. Like you moved from California to keep more money, right? right. Like that was another thing. Like he was always shitting on the you know california taxes i'm gonna move out threatening you know i'm gonna move away and he did and (laughs) to not pay taxes but like i don't understand i wouldn't say like who could need that much money i understand like we live in a capitalist system people make money cool but like truly at some point it has to just be like boring like what do you if you have a hundred million dollars Practically speaking, what what's the difference in your life if you have two hundred million dollars? I think kind of, there's got to be like diminishing returns above, say, well, let's call it a hundred million dollars. Like at some point, that next dollar just doesn't doesn't do as much for you as as it once did. I mean, I can't imagine and it does. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's almost I, like that gambler's mentality, though, right? Of like, yeah. oh, the next one is going to be the one like that gives me that serotonin boost that I need, right? Like, it's the constant, something else is totally. better on the other side of this one. Yeah. Um, and he's a gambler, so. But the, well, and this is just totally in character for for him. And, you know, for this to now be happening toward the end of his career, uh, it will doubtlessly be a, you know, one of the defining parts of his career. Um, I think it's good. I mean, this is how history should record Phil Mickelson. He is, I mean, th- this is who he is. Um, and so I think it's appropriate that this is happening toward the end of his career and that it will be one of the last things people remember about him because he, it, it, this is how he should be remembered. Totally. So to get, I mean, to you, you really gave us the perfect segue there. Um, if you haven't, by the way, guys, read, read the Phil, we'll tweet it or something because you know what? Screw it. Um <laughs> Everybody should read it. It's really, it's really interesting, and it really like even the hook of him trying to get with his wife really like sucked me in. Because Honestly, that was like so, a like skeevy. jarring story right off the bat. I was like, ew, I hate this. Will you tell the listeners that actually, Will? Because I think that 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 was what really got me. I was like, oh yeah. my god, this yeah, is like he, a sociopath. He told this story to Alan Shipnuck on uh, on back when Alan still worked for Golf Magazine on uh, on one of Alan's podcasts that. Um, when he was in college trying to woo his now wife, Amy, uh, he took her to horror movies and, because he was a, I think he was a psychology major and he explained that like, the, the human emotions of fear and sexual attraction are very closely related. And that, so he took her to these horror movies and she was afraid, but he would like hold her hand and kind of rub her hand and so he... He, he said that he was replacing her fear with attraction. And I, just, I remember thinking, okay, on the one hand, you know, listening to this podcast, um, 
this is excellent content. But <laughs> on the on the other hand, you're a slime ball. That is gross, dude. Right? <laughs> Even if it's a joke and you're just telling this to kind of like needle your wife, like that's gross as hell, dude. That's, that's creepy. really weird. I can't imagine being his wife and like hearing that that was like it's like so you tricked me? You kind of like you know, like brainwashed me a little bit, you know, yeah. like that's what that is. It's like, it's like bait and switch of like emotions. It's, well, it's CSI stuff, you know? It, it really is scary because it, I think potentially accurately paints him as this master manipulator. And then it's just kind of like, all right, like what else is he doing behind the scenes or not even behind the scenes? Like what else is he working with here in his toolkit that we're not even paying attention to? I can remember listening to an episode of Jim Rome back in the late 90s uh and rome just sort of very he he didn't get into any details about it but he said like it is it is pretty well known in golf media circles that phil mickelson is not who you think he is and he kind of left it at that which was unusual for rome but you know i was probably 17 or 18 at the time and i thought okay mental note on that and you kept watching and and (laughs) he has he has proven jim rome right over and over and over he is he is not that man yeah it's just it's just wild i mean i think i think the the like barrier to entry for being like a fun or like affable person in golf like and with a lot of pro athletes too you know what i mean like if you're a professional athlete you're so good at what you do that like you don't really need to be funny and you don't really need to be like a great interview or something. You know what I mean? Like if you're doing really well at your sport, that's what you're paid to do. And you know, that's great. Everything else is kind of gravy. But I think because he is like, you know, a funny guy and he's affable and like he can make jokes and everything. It's like, Oh, he must be a good guy too. You know? And it's like, no, there, there are some really terrible affable people out there. (laughs) You know? I remember when I first published that article, like, People were responding to my mentions like, yeah, but he he gave a thumbs up to my 11-year-old at some tournament. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> right? Awesome, dude. Yeah. Not trying to take that away from I'm you. I'm not saying he didn't give a thumbs up to your 11-year-old. I'm just saying he's a criminal. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you can still be... You can be a, a fun new... criminal. That's, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. We know lots of nice fun criminal. criminals. I know that goes against the title of the article, but you can be a nice criminal. Maybe that should have been the the world's nicest criminal. Golf's nicest criminal, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Hmm. Is there anybody... Can you think of any other nice nice criminals in golf? Oh, God, I, it probably wouldn't be hard. Um, <laughs> God, I'm, I know I'm missing somebody. Um, is it too soon for a, a Thorbjorn Olsen joke? Um, oh, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Shut that up. That was what? What was that, like six months ago? That was like six months ago that he beat the charges, I think. I forget oh, okay. when that actually happened. But, um, yeah, he's, I don't know if he's a nice guy. Um, that The description of what happened certainly wasn't nice. But he is a what criminal. Was it? was it domestic violence or what was he saying again? I think he, I think he like. And it was bad. Peed on, peed on an airline attendant or something. Oh, yes. Yes, this I is. I missed this entirely. Let me. I'm happy about hearing the details but and it's too bad because i also thought his name was so fun to say <laughs> it's too bad well, his <laughs> nickname was too bad for me his nickname on the shotgun start podcast is piss bear 
So it, it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. No. I mean, you get in trouble for peeing on an airplane, and like, there are not a lot of options for yeah, how so that was, story ends. Yeah, yeah, it was technically a sexual assault on a 20, 2019 flight. Oh, Jesus which, Christ. A flight is probably the war, like a terrible place for that to happen, too, because it's like no one can escape. You know, the smell of piss, among other things. I have so many questions that I don't want to ask while being recorded. Um, but Excuse yeah, me, that's... he urinated on a plane seat. He, um, oh. he, only, he only grabbed a woman's breast and then <laughs> urinated on the plane seat. Right, okay, right, okay. So the, the, the pissing was not the assault. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, so no, that, I... yeah, that's bad. So cleared of that, huh? I wonder how much you got paid. I hope a lot. I hope she got a lot of money. Yeah. At the very uh, should, should we transition to getting a lot? Yeah, of let's money get into the Saudis. Yeah, let's get into the Saudis because that's <laughs> that's really of. yeah. Speaking of you know pissing on seats and like doing bad things and getting money for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Haley, you wanna you wanna lead us off there? <laughs> I mean, I really want to turn it over to Will because you are now the de facto expert on the Saudis on everything happening with golf and the Saudis, uh, specifically around what? sports washing, which is. A term that I feel like I had seen but never really understood until I read the article that you published today, which is uh, February 15th for the listeners listening in next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on around there, and, and we've sort of talked about it, but we made an early commitment a few months ago to say we're not going to look into it ourselves. We're just going to find out about it by word of mouth and by asking people and so you are now our official expert on the topic. So we'd love to turn well, it over to you. Because you wrote a really good article about I it. I mean, and I feel like it explained, it answered every question that I had and also kind of, I don't know, it was just great. Well, put it into context, both from a historical point of view, but also, you know, we're watching the Olympics in Beijing presently. So, you know, it was really a good read in the sense of, you know, we're enjoying, I'm, I've been watching the Olympics every night. I'm enjoying the Olympics currently. Uh-huh. We're hearing so much around the golf world having to do with the Saudis and like all the implications of what it means and all the historical precedents are just very fascinating. So like I said, I'm going to turn it over to you so I don't ruin anything. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I really, I just wanted to write an explainer about sports washing. I think it's a, it's a fascinating concept. It's, it's not new. The Saudis did not invent it. The term itself, as it turns out, is a few decades old. Um, it, it has recently come like a more commonly used term, though, as people have started to understand it more and, and as countries around the world have started to engage in the practice more. Um, sports washing is basically the idea that oppressive regimes will intentionally use high-level sports in their countries to sort of put on a good show for... Uh, Western democracies and uh, and could distract from the fact that they are doing very bad things in their country. Uh, you mentioned the Olympics in Beijing. This is now the you know the second Olympics that they've hosted in the past what fifteen years. Uh, they have Same. hosted tons of NBA preseason games. They host uh, a or have hosted a World Golf Championships event. It was co-sanctioned by the PGA Tour and uh, and the European Tour, um, you know. And, and none of this is accidental. They they want to put on a good show, and um, you know, for a country that has been known uh, to a lot of people primarily for you know, Tiananmen Square and and other human rights abuses, it, they see it as good for business to 
have Westerners seeing China in a favorable light. Uh, it's the same thing in Saudi Arabia. You know, they're not they're not putting on F one races and WWE pay per views and you know trying to put together this uh, super golf league uh, just be, you know just for the hell of it. Um, they're doing it because they need Western investment and. As long as the West sees them as you know, this oppressive autocratic regime, which they are, um, people are going to be reluctant to invest in the country. And so they, they put on a good show uh, for the purposes of distracting from the fact that they systemically oppress women and religious minorities and dissidents. Um, I mean, so th- that's what this whole thing is about. So anyway, that's sports washing in a nutshell. Yeah, which is which is crazy. Um, which is crazy, duh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so just just to give everybody, here's a quick excerpt about what the the Super Golf League, which is the Saudi government funded um, golf league, which is different than the there's there's a couple of like competitive you know leagues that are competing with the PGA. Um, there's a super golf league and then the premier golf league. They're different. We're talking about the, the Saudi backed government backed, which is important to note, um, super golf league. And so it's formed under the umbrella of a company called LIV live golf investments, which is backed principally by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, um, which is about valued at around $500 billion. So to give you, well, you put this in your article to give a sense of comparison, the PGA Tour's revenue in 2019 totaled 1.5 billion. So we're talking about like massive, 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 crazy money. Like that's a billion dollars is a lot. Like 500 billion is like almost beyond comprehension. Too much money. I, too I much. believe that I was trying to find a, a comparison uh, when I was writing the story just to kind of put that in context. And I didn't wind up using this, but I, I am almost certain that the GDP for the entire country of Ireland is less than $500 billion. So like Whoa. every dollar that, that is made in, in Ireland over the course of a year is still less than that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, wow. it's a bananas amount of money. Yeah, that's just really, really so crazy. So you said that, you know, it's not that they just randomly want to do, you know, a golf league, right? So why do you think that pro golf has been such an easy target? for Saudi Arabian sports washing specifically. It's well, I mean, like why it, didn't they go after baseball or something? Like what is it specifically about golf that makes it such a, such a primed prime target for them? Well, on the one hand, you know, if your goal as, and this is the goal of the Saudis to increase Western investment, you know, golf's core audience trends upward in, uh, in, income levels um you know it's probably a lot easier to crack into you know the goldman sachs of the world through golf than it is say pickleball um (laughs) and also i i don't know whether they knew this going in but one of the saddest parts of this from my perspective has been just what easy marks pro golfers have turned out to be on this that there are very few guys out there who have just straight up said like there is no amount of money you can throw at me um the overwhelming majority of people who you know 
kind of been in the conversation for being recruited by the SGL have have clearly been open to the conversation. Um, and so I, I don't know when the Saudis got into it if they foresaw that pro golfers would be eager to have this conversation, but that, that certainly is the way it's worked out. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, you know, we've talked a little bit again, like completely unresearched and everything just about like the difference though, between, you know, PGA players choosing to play in these events and like LPGA players who don't have the same purses in general, like really aren't, you know, going after the same amounts of money, but also just like it being a little bit more complex because of kind of the, the women's rights issues that are apparent in Saudi Arabia. For those of you who don't know, I think that women just were allowed to drive in like 2019 or 2018. Yes. Was it, was it that short? Yeah, it was right around then. Um, couldn't drive before that legally, which is like, that's scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. That you know, I don't think we can even really under like, we can't even really fathom that, right? Like, I don't know. I can't imagine that. And, well, and it, it, it's one of those token gestures that supporters of the Saudi regime can point to and say, like, oh, look, th- things are changing around here. I mean, look, w- women are now able to drive. They couldn't even drive until a few years ago. And now look at that. When, you know, th- there's still massive oppression of women and, and you know, religious minorities uh, and, and political dissidents. Um, but, you know, people just can, can use this anecdote about women being able to drive and suggest that, oh, things are actually on the upswing over there when actually they're not. And that's the whole point of sports washing is to like prevent further reforms. That was something you touched on in the article, which I'd like, could you um, kind of give everybody the the overview of what that argument was, because I think that was really important. That's the sports washing doesn't necessarily move things forward so much as it masks, you know, right. And we have, it up. there's this, there's this idea that sports are, you know, the key that unlocks the world and, and sort of brings people together and, and, you know, and ushers freedom wherever it goes. And it's just not true. I mean, the the seminal example of sports washing is the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Um, you, know, you, you don't have to be a history major to, to understand what went on there. Um, it, it is not that Berlin was getting ready to introduce a bunch of reforms. It, it was that um, Hitler had some big plans and he needed uh, to put on a good face for the West in order to make those plans happen. Uh, same thing in China right now. Um, they, they promised a series of reforms going into the 2008 games, none of which came to pass. Um, the Saudis right now, I can promise you that the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, could give two shits what Bryson DeChambeau's ball speed is. <laughs> you know, He is purely interested in this for you know, the potential of distracting from the uh, the repressive regime that he oversees and you know if he were interested in reforms you don't have to start a new golf league to introduce social reforms but if you want to distract from the fact that you're not introducing social reforms uh, this might be a good way to do it right exactly you wouldn't need a uh, you wouldn't need a golf league like the ones that they're building 
you know, to promote yourself or to advertise the fact that, you know, look at all this progress we've made or all these changes we've made. You know, you just make those changes because it's the right thing to do and let the changes speak for themselves. You wouldn't need this, you know, cover, which obviously it is. My question, though, you know, and you touch on it again in the article as far as the traditional golf outlets in the U.S. have started to kind of hint at, you know, some of the the obvious reasons that, you know, you've pointed out and that we're talking about now as far as why this is not a good thing to invest in or support in any way. Um, but that's probably more because of their loyalties to the PGA Tour than anything else. So my question is, you know, does this come to a point where we're calling it what it is or are we going to kind of go along with the same sports washing spiel that we've been you know that we've seen with the beijing olympics two times now and and elsewhere you know is this just more of the same or is there's anything that can be done to kind of rip the rip the plug from the wall it's an open question right now as far as i can tell Uh, i have been pleasantly surprised that like you say that um the journalists who cover golf who, who usually are a pretty uncritical bunch uh that so many of them have been speaking out in unambiguous terms about what is going on. I suspect strongly, again, as you said, that um, that the PGA Tour has something to do with that. Um, these mm-hmm. these folks, you know, the and now I, I will use some uh, some folks' names. You know, the, the Golf Digests of the world, the um, the Golf Channels of the world. Uh, they are married to the PGA Tour and. Um, most weeks of the year that that results in some pretty compromised coverage this may be the one instance where um, it, it actually frees some folks up to uh, to call this what it is uh, and maybe it's unfortunate that there's you know that that conflict of interest is what's leading to some honest criticism here but uh, but I guess I'll under the circumstances I'll take it however I can get it um, so we'll see um, yeah. Uh, generally the way this works is that uh, the press at the end of the day kind of falls for the show. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, folks can, you know, folks who cover golf for a living can make a decision on whether they want to be part of systemic propaganda or whether they want to call it what it is. I mean, even the whole, you know, to bring it back to the Olympics a little bit, I think the, the opening night ceremonies was really peppered with a lot of mentions of, like, the Uyghur genocide and all of that. And, you know, I, like, in a way, that's that's good, right? Like, that people, because I think that a lot of people watching the Olympics probably didn't know about that. Probably didn't know about the Uyghurs. Like, I, I don't know enough about the Uyghurs. I've just known that it's happening, but it's one of those things where you're just kind of like, what exactly is it that we do here? You know what I mean? As like regular normal ass people that like have really not a lot to do with putting the Olympics wherever it is, or, you know, or choosing to play in the PGL or not, um, or the SGL. I keep saying PGL. This is SGL that we're talking about, (laughs) which doesn't stand for Saudi. It stands for super. You need to remember that too many, too many golf leagues going on. But I think that that was one thing I was like texting one of my friends who's really into the Olympics. Shout out to Sean for really. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, my mom was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to watch it because of the Uyghurs, you know? And it's like, hey, that's pretty good. That's going on. But obviously, overall, just really, really shitty. It's, yeah, and from, a, from the perspective of an individual journalist, 
I don't know. I haven't figured out how I would how I would cover that. Um, I, I think you know the the coverage that you started to see into um, President Trump's administration it probably provides something of a roadmap. It was you know very, it was unprecedented during the Trump administration for uh, the press to to provide context alongside a president's statement saying like actually everything he said there was like demonstrably <laughs> incorrect and, and fact checking right and it took a little while into that administration for the press to make that a regular part of their coverage but likewise it was it was unprecedented that um that a president would make such repeated falsehoods and so you know the press evolved with that I think that probably is a beginning point for a conversation about, you know, how, assuming this goes forward, uh, you know, assuming the SGL gets off the ground, how do we, how do we on the one hand tell the story of what happens over there while also not doing an injustice to uh, the, the reality of why this exists? Um, and again, I, I, in an individual 15-inch story, I don't know how I would do that yet, but uh, I hope we've—I uh, hope people are getting brave enough to at least begin having that conversation. I hope so, too. I know, I know that you certainly are, so that's good. I don't think anybody turns to us for, like, you know, global news so much, so... Maybe they will Not know. yet, at least. Yeah, well, not yet. Again, niche publication, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, thankfully, um, there, there are a lot of folks in the golf space who uh, who are talking about this right now and, and you don't generally see that and so maybe you know maybe there is an opportunity here yeah yeah certainly i mean i'm also just you know kind of floored by the logistics of having to play in saudi arabia for you know x amount of months per year um i don't yeah. think that sounds like fun that would be a downer for me but you know Aside from all the human rights violations and like, you know the killing journalists and all of that stuff, like the other thing is the travel, right? It's like oh, I don't know. Yeah, you have to have to uh, find a nice condo in Riyadh, I guess. I don't know how that would work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well, we don't want to keep you all night um, because I know that you're now that you're waking up at four a.m. Exactly, so, an early start. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, should we give him a gripe though? Yeah. I mean, I Please. think this, we did, I mean, I, I did don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've griped a lot, actually, this episode. Yeah. But do you, this section is uh, Gruder Golf Gripes, and we allow you to just gripe about really anything that you'd like to gripe about. Um, I think that's grinding your gears. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm going to, what I'm going to gripe about. So, I'm the world's worst, admittedly, about just throwing away receipts. I get a receipt, and I, I immediately throw it away. Um, well, recently I mailed something, I like priority mail at the post office. And of course they gave me the receipt, said, here's your tracking number, here's your insurance info, immediately threw it away. Didn't Ooh. even think about it. Well, it's like, well, it's the year 2022. There's got to be some backup. Like, how can it be that this tiny little paper record has all of this critical information on it now? And yeah. so... After I realized, you know, I, I mean, I spent a week looking for this receipt, knowing full well I'd thrown it away. Um, 
and it's like looking on the internet, like how do I recover my tracking number? And the short answer is no, you, you're dead. Like that, that was your tracking number, dude. And you threw it away. So my gripe is that like, there's gotta be a backup. Why can't, like, if you use a debit card, which everybody uses, how come your tracking number isn't on your bank statement? Like just say, hmm. you know, Bardwell spent yeah. $8 on priority mail on February 15th. And here was the tracking number. There's got to be some way. And the fact that there is no way other than this dumb little receipt that they give you, that is my gripe. There's got to be a better way. That's a great gripe. I agree with you. Thank you. I share that gripe, honestly. Because even if you have a USPS online account, they don't ask that they don't ask for that when you're at the post office. No. You know, you should enter your phone number at the beginning. That could solve all of this. Yeah. Text it to you. Email it. it. Yes. Yes. I get all my CVS receipts emailed to me. Oh. Somebody you know, told me one time that I could do that. And they were like, you know what? There's a little trick that you can do. And there's automatically emailed. And now I don't have those, those really long receipts anymore. I get them emailed to me, which I don't check at all. But I've never returned anything to CVS. So I don't even know why I need the receipt. But it's good to know. <laughs> there's got to be a better way. I, the phone number thing makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Let's let's write to the USPS. I'm sure they're taking suggestions. Well, this probably rules them out as the next sponsor of Gooder Golf Podcast. Uh, but or, um, or it's a way to get in front of them with a good idea, and then they're going to say, you know what? Hey, we'd love to sponsor you. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? Not only are we going to take your idea, we're going to sponsor this podcast. Yeah. Brought to you by USPS. <laughs> Never would I have thought. I mean, we but rely on the USPS for our shipping of all of our We do. Our we merch. ship with them. We're yeah, proud customers. So. Mel, yeah, you, well, you record your podcast, and they promise you that within two to three days, it'll be uh, published, and <laughs> a week later, people are still looking for it. Like, where where the hell is my podcast? I, I don't know. <laughs> I put it out there. It's out of my control it's now. Can I, can I track it? It's, yeah. it's tracking. <laughs> it's in Delaware. Um, yeah, well, well maybe. maybe. USPS, if you're listening, we're here. Yeah, just um, kidding about all that USPS. They yeah, love ju- you. Just Please. kidding. We're we not griping you. about you. It's like it's just that we want it's just the situation. We want more for you. You <laughs> yeah. know, we want people to be happier at that post office. But well, really, thank you so very much for coming. Also, I owe you a gift. I told you I'd send you a beanie. I never sent it. Speaking of I'm, USPS, I'm waiting on the beanie. I'm going to the post office. I'm going to send you a hoodie tomorrow. I'm going to send you a hoodie. Yes. Oh my god. It's a little, getting a little late in hoodie season, but I will send you one. Oh, it's never. I, I'm in. I'm in Boston, Will. So it's we hoodies till June. <laughs> Actually, in July, even too I was at night. Say, you know, kind of hoodies year round. For hoodies you. year round. So yeah. don't worry. We'll find out. We'll find a use for that. Always rock and roll. Thank <laughs> y'all so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm crazy about the work y'all do. Uh, I'm, I'm tickled to have been invited. So thank you for having me. Well, wow. you're you maybe on. the smartest person we've had on here. So yeah. we're so excited that you came. Yeah. That's um, not true. You know, My- told us about so much. I think we learned a lot. Tell your wife that we said that. Like, I was going to say, have her oh, listen she's to dead it. now. She's gone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, hey, sweet dreams to you, Will, and we hope to talk to you soon. Let's do it. Bye, y'all. All right. Bye. Hang loose. Swing easy. We'll see you later. Bye. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. You're crying all the time. You ain't nothing but a hound dog.